to another edition of the Lakers Locker Room. I'm your co-host, Tejon Graham. Unfortunately, my co-host Jason cannot be here today. He is dealing with the illness. And for those who are wondering, no, it is not COVID-19. But anyway, Jason, you know how I feel about you. You're my brother. It's all love. I hope you get better soon. And this seat is waiting for you when you're here to get back. But as they say, the show must go on. And here we go. So we have another great guest for you guys here today. He's a Canadian politician, currently Speaker of the House of Commons of Canada, currently serves as Member of Parliament for the writing of Nipissing Timiskaming. Please welcome to the Lakers locker room, Mr. Anthony Rhoda. Anthony, how are you doing today? Very good, Dijon. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Have you been good. staying safe recently? I'm doing as safe as can be. I mean, it's uh, social distancing seems to be the new norm, and uh, we do the best we can. And uh, I think that's the way we're going to beat uh, COVID. We don't want to let it get us down. I agree. So let's get right into it. Obviously, at the moment, you know, North Bay is currently in a stay-at-home order due to COVID outbreak and new variants coming up now. Can you just give us a quick insight for how it's being addressed and what the next couple of weeks are looking like in terms of everything reopening back up in the city? Well, that's a good question. I mean, that's something that you'd have to ask uh, the mayor, for one, because it's a city. And the other is uh, a lot of the controls are coming down from the province as far as lockdowns go. Uh, the uh, The federal government has one jurisdiction, but those lockdowns really come from the province. And, and they've got some very bright people there uh, making decisions on what goes on. So what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks? Uh, from what I can gather is we're slowly coming back to normal or hoping to, uh, but until we actually get vac uh, vaccinated and get everyone uh, in some form of uh, safety, uh, it's going to be hard to come back to normal. But uh, slowly, everything is coming back. And uh, as long as people are careful, they wear a mask, they practice social distancing, um, we should be uh, we should be fine. Uh, as a city, we've done very fine up until just recently, and we've had a couple of outbreaks. Outbreaks, and you could track them right down to where they were. I mean, you can see where they came, uh, uh, where it came from, and and it's again, it, we can't be uh, lackadaisical about uh, about uh, COVID nineteen. It's something that's there, and as soon as we let our guard down, it slips right back in or right right into the uh, community. For all the Nipissing students who come from different areas or different regions coming back to North Bay, what are some things that they can do to make sure that they don't continue the spread of COVID-19? Well, again, social distancing, be careful. Don't be too close to someone. Uh, make sure you wear a mask at all times. And uh, don't, don't do anything that's reckless. And, and it's amazing what reckless can be defined as. Uh, it doesn't take much. Just uh, have your guard up at all times. And uh, people do come to Nipissing. It's a great university. It works out very well. And uh, people are welcome to uh, North Bay. It's just we're asking people to be very careful, especially for those first 14 days. Uh, once you get over that hump, then you can kind of let go. But I mean, uh, you don't have to be quarantined for 14 day, after 14 days. You just have to make sure that you're protected. Anyways, let's switch gears and let's talk about you a little bit. So you're born in North Bay. You have a BA in political science from Wilfrid Laurier University, a diploma in finance from Algonquin College, and a master's of business admin from U Ottawa. Just, just talk a bit about where your passion for politics originated from. Well, I mean, I think my uh, passion for politics originated uh, when I was younger, uh, where a lot of people would watch the Stanley Cup in our family. Uh, we would watch uh, uh, elections or we would watch leadership campaigns. 
And uh, that's something that always interests me. But uh, one of the big things is, uh, is service, uh, being able to make a difference in people's lives and uh, doing it on a small scale, whether you're helping someone uh, get a pension or get a service that they should be having, which really doesn't make a big difference to anybody else other than that person. But if you're making a difference in that life, one person at a time, that's how you build a country. So to me, that that's a big big thing. Again, on a bigger scale, whether it's building a bridge or getting funding for uh, services in a community, that's another way of doing it. So I mean, it, it's that fulfillment that you get when you're actually accomplishing something for the greater good. Has there been any memorable moment since you've been a politician that you can like think of that's like very vivid in your mind? Well, probably if I had to pick uh, one moment that uh, was very memorable. Uh, well, of course, when I first got elected or nominated uh, back in 2004, but just recently, uh, about a year and a half ago, when I was uh, chosen uh, or elected to be the speaker. And that one is very special because it is uh, your peers from all the parties who vote on a person that they want to see in the speaker's chair. And uh, I was honored uh, that uh, they chose me to be in that position. You touched on it just now, but you know, looking at the early stages of your career, you were at the municipal level as a city councilor until you won the federal liberal nomination for Nipissing in 2004. What was like? What was it like hearing that you won and taking that next step in your career as a politician? Well, I, uh, I, it was it, again. Uh, it was uh, one of these things where you put your name forward, and you never know how things are going to work out. And actually, the feeling that people have confidence in you to continue and uh, to represent them in Ottawa. And that's something I take very seriously. So when I'm in Ottawa, I wanna make sure that my constituents know that I'm here and that, uh, that uh, I'm representing them to the best of my ability and doing the best that we can for Nipissing Timiskaming, which uh, I think uh, you talk about North Bay, with everything that's going on with COVID, I think we have a real opportunity there. I know the, uh, the mayor, has been uh, pushing economic growth. And that's something that is, uh, is very important. And I continue to push it as well. And with what's going on in the larger cities, people are realizing that, you know, there's more to life than a rat race, rushing into uh, work in the morning on a one hour commute, and then going back, whereas they could be living in, uh, in, uh, in North Bay and have an eight minute ride to work or a five minute ride to work, which, uh, which would be a lot more pleasant. And uh, getting a job in North Bay is, uh, is something that uh, we're all working to do for everyone so that everyone can have uh, uh, meaningful employment. And uh, it's, uh, it's just something that I think people are starting to realize. For those who are interested in getting to politics, from, you, from what you've done over the years, what does it take to be a good politician? Like, what are important factors that you need to have to be a successful politician? I have a lot of people call me and say, I'm thinking of getting in politics. Uh, can you give me any tips? And my first question to them is, do you like people? <laughs> and if you don't like people, this is not the job for you. You've got to be ready to talk to people, listen to them, uh, see what they have, get their ideas. And that's how you build from there. Uh, but if anybody's just thinking of getting into politics, I would suggest uh, volunteering on a lot of different organizations, get involved in the community. And the way I often describe it is once you start doing that, people start seeing what you're capable of. And once they start seeing you're capable of doing something and making a difference, they'll start saying, you know, maybe you should think of 
running for city council, running for the Chamber uh, of Commerce uh, as uh, chair, uh, and uh, so on and so forth. And before you know it, uh, it kind of happens. But uh, again, it has to be deep inside you, and you've really got to have that uh, that uh, sense to uh, to serve uh, the public. For those who are listening to the podcast right now are really interested about the process, if you can put into a nutshell, just describe what the experience is like being in the House of Commons and speaking in that whole process. Well, I mean, uh, being in the House of Commons, just being there sometimes, it's it's like you look around and you still pinch yourself. Am I really here? This is really something. And being in the speaker's chair, you pinch yourself that much harder to realize that, boy, am I really here? But uh, it, it really is uh, quite the honor to represent the people of your riding uh, in uh, Nipissing, in the, in the House of Commons. And when someone rises in the House, uh, usually there's different uh, formats, whether they're debating, and usually it's a 10-minute f- debate or a 10-minute speech or, a, or so, and then five minutes after of questions. And that's normally how the debate works. Uh, some And other times where there's, a, if you get early on in the game, uh, in the debate, you can get up to 20 minutes and 10 minutes of questions, which uh, involves a little bit more, but it allows you to put your ideas out there say what you're believing and what you think uh, should happen, and then hopefully you're influencing the uh, the outcome. And, and what happens is uh, by listening to the debates and taking part in them, you evolve as well because you see different views of things. Because one thing about Canada, it's a huge country. Uh, compared to, uh, say, uh, some of the smaller European countries that you can fit in, in Ontario about four or five times, this whole country uh, is large. So when people come to Ottawa, they come from all across the country and all different parts of the country have different views, different ways of doing things. And one of the challenges is understanding those views and coming up with legislation that actually reflects everyone's interests. From your position, obviously this year, you know, education is a big thing in this country. You know, obviously everything with the coronavirus this year, you know, you have university students doing online school and then you have high schools still in person, but like obviously it's, it's not the same. Just from your perspective, can you can you just touch a bit about the difficulties like the government's had in terms of you know controlling like school in terms of if there's an outbreak like what happens in the procedures and all that? Yeah, a lot of that is done at the provincial level, unfortunately. So I I, I can't uh, I can't comment on uh, on that. Uh, you'd probably have to talk to the provincial member on uh, some of the restrictions that happen, and also to the uh, the uh, chair, the uh, head of the uh, the health unit that would uh, legislate a lot of that. Uh, one of the things I can talk about is uh, how it's affected us in Parliament, because uh, it's been, uh, well, it'll be a year in March that uh, we've been either suspended or trying to work. Uh, we've had a special committee where all the MPs took place and I chaired. It was a virtual committee. That was very interesting to do. But the other thing too is what we've done in the house is we've morphed that into a hybrid system as of September, where we have people in the house and we have people at home or in their offices and the debate continues. So as a speaker, I have to, I have a number of screens in front of me. It looks like the USS Enterprise almost where you've got, uh, it's not the traditional speaker's chair, but I have to keep an eye on what's going on in the house if anybody wants to speak there. And I have to keep an eye on the screen to see if anybody has raised their hands to speak as well. And, uh, and you've got to have a fair balance there. So that's working out fairly well. And uh, we've adapted and I think Canadians can be pretty proud of uh, our, uh, 
our elected officials uh, in Ottawa because of the way we've come together. We keep our distance uh, as much as we can uh, within uh, that safe uh, six feet, uh, which we have a little bit more than that in the house. Uh, we always wear masks when we're moving around. Once we're in our seats, most people keep their masks unless they're speaking and uh, or they're at their, at their desks in their office, uh, they can take their mask off. But uh, it's been fairly contained and uh, very well respected. So overall, I think uh, uh, Canadians uh, in general have been taking COVID very serious and that's reflected in their elected officials. When we look at the world now, you know, media has taken, has been a big role in today when we do anything, whether it's like social media, whether it's like promotions or whatever. So from 2004 until now, media has advanced a lot and its role in politics has increased exponentially over the years. What has it been like navigating the media's increasing role in politics? And for you personally, has it been an advantage or a hindrance? Uh, you know what? You adapt to whatever's out there. I mean, uh, social media is one of those things that uh, you, uh, you, you end up working with or you ignore it. And that's the same with any technology. If you ignore it or adapt it, you do it at your own peril. And I think uh, we've had to uh, adapt. Uh, and, and media has gotten a little bit nastier, I think, uh, especially with social media, because people, what used to happen is people would write uh, a, a letter by hand, then they would take it and type it out and then send it or rewrite it so that it was legible and then send it out to their MP or whatnot. And somewhere along the lines, maybe half of them didn't get sent out and the half that did got rethought and maybe modified a bit. But what I'm finding with social media is people will type something in and send. And then my, my first reaction is to call and say, okay, I'm worried about what you're saying. And Oh, no, I don't even remember writing that. Don't worry about it. I just, meanwhile, we're at our end, we're saying, oh man, we got a crisis on our hand. We want to make sure we solve it. So uh, my advice to people is if you write something that's really uh, got a, an edge to it, maybe just let it sit overnight and then send it. And uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing. And some of the comments that are made on social media as well, uh, when people write stuff, uh, it's not always based in fact, it's based on something that they've heard somewhere that really isn't, isn't correct. And uh, you don't want to embarrass them online, but on the other hand, it has to be corrected. And, and that's not always easy. You know, for you personally, I see on Instagram, you have like 4,000 followers. Would you say for you personally, it's probably maybe strengthened your relationship with the community because you're so much more interactable now that you have social media as well? Yeah, no, I've always been one to return calls if somebody calls or if somebody writes something, I try to uh, respond uh, as, as, as best I can. And uh, with social media, yeah, it allows me to interact uh, quite quite well. Uh, I just on Facebook, sometimes uh, three or four times, five times a night, I'll get messages from people uh, saying, what about this? Or I'm having trouble with a passport or with my pension, and we'll work it out so that uh, they can get some service. So it, it does help out. For those who don't really follow, you know, politics, you know, as soon as they hear the word politics, they're thinking, oh, this person would just, politicians just say whatever it takes to get elected, and then as soon as they get elected, they don't follow on the promises, right? But you touched a little bit on it before, but for you personally, if you have, has it been difficult for you to fight that stereotype politicians have, and what are some ways you've been able to show your authenticity when it comes to the community? Well, I think you are who you are, and I think that's probably the biggest thing that I can advise people, whether they're running politi for politics, uh, whether they're a teacher, whether they're a student. As soon as you try to become someone you're not 
and uh, try to steer somewhere else where you're comfortable. I've always looked at it. If I don't agree with what you've, what you're saying, or you don't like what I'm saying, I'd rather face it dead on and say, look, this is who I am and this is what I believe. And if we don't agree, we'll agree to disagree politely as opposed to lying to someone. And, you know, I, I honestly believe, and I, I say this to a lot of students when I'm talking in, in, in schools, uh, parliament is really a re reflection of society. You got about 85% of people really want to work together, regardless of party. They want to they want to do what's best. Then you've got about 10% who will only work within their own party or within their own group. And you, and you see that in society where there's people, yeah, I don't like him because, or I don't like her because of that. And the excuses people find not to work together, I, I don't know. And again, I, I think it's just that one uh, small group. And then there's about two or 3% who they can't work with anybody. They just like fighting with people. And that's, uh, that's a reality in politics. So again, I think, I think there's some good in most people and in all people. Uh, it's just a matter of finding them and just kind of coming together and doing the best that you can uh, in, in, in finding some common ground. Once you have that common ground, then you can start building from there. I recently had this um, discussion question in business and it was saying that, would you rather work as an individual or as a team member? You know, you touched on it just now, but for those who, you know, are difficult and don't want to work individually, can you just touch a bit from your perspective on why it's really important to work as a team and work together to accomplish certain goals? Well, it depends on the goal. Like sometimes you're better off on your own, but that's not the majority of the time. Normally what happens if you can bring different people together, they all bring different perspectives. And depending on where you come from, uh, what your reality is, you will see things differently. And that different view, if you can come together and then piece them all together, you really do come out with a better outcome because you're bringing different wealth to that together. I've often said that one thing nice about coming together and sharing ideas you know, if I come to you and you come to me and I give you a dollar for, say, a product, you take the dollar, I take the product. Okay, so we're both made an exchange. Well, you know, it was probably a fair exchange, but you're walking away with one thing. I'm walking with another. We're walking with different stuff, same value, just different. But if you come together with ideas, I give you an idea that I have, you give me one of yours, we're both walking away with more than we came and that, that is a key thing of working as a team. So it's, it's, it's pulling in uh, that experience, that knowledge from everyone and putting it into one place and then going from there. I, one of the other things I often say is Canada is a very interesting place because we have a lot of people coming from different countries. My background is Italian. Uh, and uh, what I say is what we do in Canada is we take the best that the world has to offer and bring it to one place. And that's why Canada is such a great country. Doing research about you, I also see that you also are a sessional lecturer at Nipissing University for Political Science. So what's that experience been like? It was great. That was uh, back in 2011, I lost the election. I was off for four years. So I was at Nipissing and uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was great uh, teaching uh, political science and uh, I was scheduled to uh, teach some business courses as well. Unfortunately, the election came back and uh, well, I'm going to say fortunately, <laughs> I enjoyed, uh, I, I came back, but uh, it's, it's been good. I, I've really enjoyed uh, teaching students and uh, I had a great class. Uh, they, uh, the interactions were good and uh, it, uh, I, it, again, sharing experience. And uh, the nice thing about it was not only did you teach the theory, but I had the background of being in uh, in Parliament and being able to bring that as well. 
in terms of the interactions with the classmates, have there been any like debates where like you really saw and were like, oh, I never thought of that before? Like, have there been any ones in your mind that really stick out? There's a lot of those that stick out. Uh, it happens on a regular basis where someone gets up and you think, okay, that person, I'm not sure what the heck they're saying. And then all of a sudden they come up with one argument maybe out of their whole speech that is like, oh, you know what, that makes perfect sense. Or uh, the whole speech like uh, will we'll bring stuff to the table that isn't being brought up by others. And I think that's the key right there is by having people bring their own experience. If you don't have the same experience as that person, then you'll gain from it. And uh, that's probably the biggest uh, thing that comes up. For you personally, what has that growth process been like, you know, from starting off as a young politician up to now? Like, what, how, how have you grown individually? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I think, again, you learn what's going on, not only in Ottawa, but in your riding, and you try to marry the two together and make sure that, okay, how do we make this work so that it's best for the people of Nipissing Timiskaming, and it is something that's good for the country of Canada. And that's the question that you always ask yourself. If it's just one-sided, then somebody's losing out, and uh, that's not really uh, a good way of uh, governing. Although, what you end up doing is you look at your writing first and saying, okay, how are we going to benefit from this? And then you see about fitting in the, the rest of the country. And you want to make sure that, like I said, there's got to be a balance there. Like what you've been hearing so far? Make sure to follow us on IG at Lakers Locker Room and subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're at it, where you can find clips of all our episodes and video content associated with the podcast. Part two of the Lakers Locker Room starts now. Anyways, um, let's let's switch gears a bit now. Um, you know, doing my research, you know, Black History Month has been celebrated in Canada since 1996 after becoming official in December 1995. For you personally, in your opinion, why is it important for Canadians to celebrate Black History Month? Well, I think what we have to do is we have to understand our history. And Black history is part of Canada. It's who we are. I mean... Uh, I'm very much uh, in favor of education and education is something that we have to take into our own hands. And if we're not learning about our whole country, everybody in our country, then we're ignoring parts of it. And that's something that uh, we have to do. Now, I often uh, use the example of myself. I went to a French school when I was five years old and from five to, to, to uh, grade 13 at the time, uh, I was done in French. Now, the history that I learned was all about Jacques Cartier, Jacques Cartier coming in 1534 until the Plains of Abraham. Anybody who was here before, well, you know, that, that, that's not really history. Anybody after, well, they just ruined what the French had done in there. So that, that was the history that I learned. Yet, you look at an English school, it was from the Plains of Abraham forward. And one of the bills that we have put through in Ottawa was about two years ago, three years ago, I guess now was Bill 61. And Bill 61 was promoted by someone who we, we lost just recently, Muriel Sawyer, who was a wonderful person and really promoted Indigenous rights and Indigenous language and education. And what that was, was that bill allowed uh, Indigenous people, the Anishinaabe people, to write their own history books and to, to really uh, have it so that when Anishinaabe people or the Ojibwe people were reading uh, the history books, they can see themselves in it. And I think that's one of the key things. So very similar to what I'm saying for Black History Month, if 
as yourself, if you're looking at Canadian history and you don't see anyone that looks like you in there, you think, well, wait a minute, I'm not part of this. I know I, growing up, I was, uh, I grew up as, uh, I, basically, uh, when I grew up, I was the ethnic group in our neighborhood, the Italians. So you know what it's like not to necessarily feel like you fit in. Uh, you know you're Canadian, you're proud of it, but you kind of feel, hey, like, you know, I'm not, I don't fit into the French Canadian group that I'm going to school with, the Anglophone group, I'm not quite part of their group, but I am proud to be Canadian. But you have to see what people of your of your uh, heritage have contributed to the country and it makes you part of the country. And I think that's where Black History Month uh, comes into play. And, and I mean, one of the things that we're very proud of in Nipissing to Miskaming is we had the first black mayor in Canada, in Mattawa. I don't know if you knew that, but, uh, mm -hmm. and that's something that a lot of people seem to overlook. And uh, his children uh, are, uh, are, uh, are here in, uh, in the area and uh, very big contributors to the uh, to the uh, to the region. You touched on it too. Like I think it's just important because Black History Month gives people time to learn and see about different Black Canadians. You know, every time we talk about Black History Month in general, it's always about the stuff that happens in the South. You know, whether it's Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, or Malcolm X, which is great. Like for me, for myself personally, like we actually started a club at Nipissing called New Base. So New Base stands for Nipissing University Black Association for Student Expression. And one of the things that I'm doing with the student unit is a series called Time to Educate. And Time to Educate gives people an opportunity to see and learn about different Black Canadians who are influential in Canada. Like I said, it's always, every time you see the news, it's always about stuff that happens in the States, but never really about Canada. So yeah. with that, oh, go ahead. And one of the things we have to look at that Canadians always look at things and say, oh, we're better than the States. Well, let's look into our history and realize that, you know what, slavery did exist here in Canada as well. And uh, until we actually see that and say, you know what, we may have gotten out of it sooner than others, but it, it did exist and we have to be cognizant of that. And the main reason is that we don't want to go into any kind of, uh, of, a, of a racist uh, form of government or a racist society like we had in the past. We've come a long way. We've got a long way to go. Let's keep going. Let's not just stay and say, oh, well, we're better than the United States. No, 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 no. We've got to be the best. We've got to continue to, 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 to eliminate it altogether. I agree, because I don't know why, but for some reason, media always puts up this picture that you know, Canada is a great country. Look, I will be the first to say that I love it here. I love where I'm at in Toronto. I love living in Canada. But it'd be oblivious to say that there's problems that still that don't exist in Canada, for example, like systematic oppressions. Like when I look at the stats, for example, the other day, I saw that black population is 12.5% more um, liable to be you know, unemployed than other minorities. Or same with hate crimes, like hate crimes are still geared towards black people more. So with that being said, you know, everyone obviously saw what happened with George Floyd last year. So just from your perspective, why do you think it took so long for people to actually finally see all the stuff that's been going on about systematic oppressions, hate crimes, et cetera? Because I feel like now people are finally seeing, oh, this is what people have been talking about. Oh, this is like, I never saw this before. Like, why do you think it took until last year for people to finally see that? Well, I think like anything else, it just reaches a, bo a boiling point. And, and unless you're being affected directly, it you don't think of it. And then suddenly something comes up and it's out in the open. Okay, you have to deal with it. And people start talking about it and they start thinking about it. And there it is. And it's like I said earlier, uh, education. Uh, we have to learn what has happened in the past. We have to learn what we're capable of. 
and what's happened in other places, emulate what's good and eliminate what's bad. And that that's basically, I think we're getting closer and closer, although we still have, like I said, a long way to go. And I, like I told you, I mean, growing up, I mean, uh, I, I, I can't tell you the names that I was called as an Italian, uh, <laughs> but that's what it was. And that's, that's what it was in the sixties and the seventies uh, growing up. That's kind of fallen to the wayside uh, because it's not acceptable anymore. Well, the same thing with a lot of the things that uh, other minorities are putting up with. It, this is Canada. Like I said, we take the best that the world has to offer. We bring it to one place and uh, we're all here together making the greatest country in the world. What are some things that you think we can do collectively to help eradicate racism socially and systemically? Like, like when you talk about like the House of Commons of the government, has that ever been like a conversation brought up about some things we can do to get better? Oh, definitely on a regular basis that comes up and it's always been there. Uh, and uh, and people uh, talk, okay, how do we include more people? How do we encourage more people to run? Uh, both gender, uh, different races, uh, uh, different, uh, different uh, religious beliefs. And again, if you've got those people, uh, those different uh, beliefs in one place, as we're talking together, we all come together and say, okay, well, we didn't think of that, or I didn't think of this or that. And, and then it comes together and it really makes for a more wholesome uh, legislature. Um, looking at, you know, the future, like, obviously, I think it also starts with accountability, right? I think it's important that we hold, like, you know, the government accountable, the institutions accountable. Like, for example, like, um, there's some schools that were kind of quiet in terms of when George Floyd happened that they didn't really put out a statement. And obviously now we see, for example, with Aunt Jemima recently, we've seen that, you know, with the Pearl, I don't know, healing or whatever, I don't know what it's called. But I feel like in terms, instead of an actual, like, solutions people are trying to do is symbolic gestures. So with that being said, would you agree that it also starts with accountability, like we have to begin to hold people in power accountable? Well, I think we have to hold everyone accountable, whether they're in power or whether they're on the streets. If you hear someone saying something that is racist or something that is not correct, whether it's against uh, gender, whether it's against the lifestyle, whether it's about skin color, religion, Call them out on it, because most of the times they're bullies, and as soon as somebody stands up to a bully, they back down, and that's I think is something that everybody has to call has to take responsibility, unless you believe what they're saying, and then you'll be one of the people that we're we're, we're working against. But uh, no, I, I think that every person has to take that responsibility, and uh, if something is not right, deal with it at the time. Tell that person that that isn't correct. And it's not the right thing to say. Don't be nasty to them because then you're jumping in the same boat as them. But point out to them, uh, almost like you're a teacher and you're teaching them, look, what you're doing is not correct. It's not something that I agree with. And it's not something that I want to hear. It doesn't, make, uh, it doesn't make for a strong country. It doesn't make for a good society. So please stop that. I agree too, because I think when you look at, you know, when we talk about trying to impact the younger generation, I think that's like one big thing to tell them. Hey, listen, like you said, if you see something that's not right, speak up about it. I feel like sometimes people are so scared to, you know, speak up and say this is wrong and, and call someone out because they're scared to get in trouble. No, you're not going to get in trouble. Like, it's the right thing to do. Like, if someone's being mean to someone based on race, if someone's like saying, like, for example, homophobic stuff, whatever, call them out on it. Like, it's not cool to do that. And I think once the younger generation understands it, listen, you guys are at a point now where you're seeing all this stuff yourself at a young age, and now that you have the chance to do something about it. Like, I yeah. feel like the generation before us, you know, they saw it, but then they didn't know how to go about it. 
I think now once again, media, like media has been such a big tool that we have, you know, Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and the, and the internet that we can actually show all these messages that we're trying to say. So I think it's just important for the younger generation to see that if you see something, call it out. Exactly. And that's the main way to do it. Uh, it's, it's just, and it's one person at a time. And, and if you make it uncomfortable for that person to say something like that, politely, then that person's going to think twice before they say that again. And that's the key to also, like you said, be, be respectful about it. You know, obviously no one's going to respond to someone saying, why are you saying this? Like, no, like just say, listen, pull them to the side and say, listen, I heard what you said. I just want to let you know, I didn't appreciate it for A, B, and C. You kindly not say it again. Then or, it, or, what I often look. do is I just ask a question. Why would you have said that? And when you start saying, when you start, when you ask people to think about it and giving you an answer, then it's like, well, they don't, they can't give you a half decent answer. And, and sometimes they do give you an answer and question again. And just ask polite question after question after question so that they kind of work their way to their own answer that says, you know what, what I did was wrong. And then, then you, re then they realize that, okay, they, they can, they can, they, hopefully they, they realize that uh, there's a, a better way of doing things. I never even thought of that. Like, it's really true because a lot of the reason why people act the way they do is based on ignorance that like they don't know, or they have all this information that's false. And that's another thing that we talked about on previous episodes about social media is that social media could put all these fake messages out there and then people believe them. And like yeah. you said, like if someone's, you know, you ask them, so why did you say that? And then you hear the answer and like, I don't know where you got that reasoning from, but that's completely false. And they're gonna say, no, it's not, no, it's not. And then like you say, you keep asking, you keep asking, keep asking. Then I feel like they'll realize that, wait a minute, this is not true. What, what am I doing? So I never, I never really thought of it when you, until you said that. That's like, true. Like instead, of, like really confronted them. The way you confront them is actually ask questions. Yeah. Why? Why are you saying that? And if they say something that is offensive, well, then you kind of correct them and say, well, I don't think that's quite right. Where did you get that information from? And you just keep asking very polite questions, and it kind of steers them nicely, so that they feel like they're coming to a realization as opposed to you hammering it down on top of them <laughs> for just from your position like just to sum it all up like in the future what are some goals that hopefully the government can do to like try to eradicate this whether it's like job hiring process policies like what do you think what would, what would be a good goal to try to set for the future that the canadian government can focus on to try to help solve this problem well i think there's already steps being taken to include uh, all people uh, in uh, government jobs and uh, hopefully in, uh, in private sector jobs as well. The other thing as well is uh, while we're being, uh, while we're having uh, uh, months like Black History Month or educational uh, times, make sure that people understand that, look, we're, we, we all have different backgrounds and we all make up one country. We have to work together and uh, come together and, uh, and, uh, and work together. Uh, we can't be uh, be fighting each other or putting one group down because as soon as you put somebody down, it, it'll come back tenfold down the road. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. So wind down this podcast now. So we're getting to our quick hitter segment. So this is the part of the podcast where we ask our guests a question and that's answer as fast as possible. So Anthony, are you ready? Uh, I, I, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. First question, Anthony. So this is music. So who's your favorite artist? So 
favorite music? Uh, you, you know what? I have to go back to uh, 1970s. Uh, I was a big Queen fan then, and I'm still a big Queen fan. Uh, and uh, yeah, from the their early albums up until probably the early 80s, and then they kind of got a little bit more bubblegum, which is still good music, but it wasn't quite as like it was like the sheer heart attack or uh, night at the opera or day at the races. That was the kind of albums that I listened to when I was in my teens, and I still take them out once in a while and listen to them. Is there a song recently that you've listened to a lot or an artist? Ah. Uh, I guess lately, uh, it depends on what's on. Uh, I'll be honest with you, my my wife and my daughter, what we try to do with COVID is we try to get together at night and uh, when I'm in North Bay and we'll have, uh, we'll play cards for about an hour. And uh, the, the statement will be, Alexa, play some 70s music or play some 60s music. <laughs> and some of the stuff that keeps coming up, I guess, is Billy Joel, uh, Jim Croce. So uh, yeah, so there's some good music out there and, and a lot of other 70s music uh, that's out there. That's that's what I, when I was in my teens, that's, that's the big one. So uh, in the 70s. <laughs> Do you have a favorite athlete currently? Uh, I'm gonna say Ken Dryden. <laughs> this is going way back. If you could spend a day with someone dead or alive, who would it be? That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I don't have a quick answer for you. There's so many people out there that, uh, that uh, it did. let's say Barack Obama. I really like it. Okay. I think because you're Italian, this might, we might have the same answer, but I'm gonna ask anyways. Do you like pineapple on your pizza? Why not? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a pizza is basically a, a piece of dough with whatever you got lying around the house. You put it on top, and <laughs> that's what pizza is. So, depending on what you got sitting around the house, why not? <laughs> <laughs> this is another personal question, but um, do you put milk before your cereal or cereal before milk? Oh, you put the cereal in first, then you top it up with milk. You can't put the milk first. You don't know how much cereal you're going to have to cover, right? Uh, it's logic. <laughs> oh, man. Why? What do you? How do you use? How do you have your cereal? Milk first, <laughs> then cereal. Very illogical. <laughs> I'm gonna get someone to say milk first. I'm gonna get somebody. Okay. <laughs> okay. What's the last show you binge watched? Ah, uh, Outlander. Okay. What's your all-time favorite movie? I don't have one. I I don't have one. I'm not a big uh, movie goer. Uh, usually it's, uh, I let my daughter pick whatever movie yeah. we're going to watch. And sometimes they get kind of strange, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have a, a favorite movie. Yeah, neither do I. Like, when I think about it, I, I like a lot of movies, but it's not one where I can say, oh, that's my favorite movie all the time. Like, and I'm not the type to watch a movie five times. I watch it once. That's enough. Mm. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's one skill you wish you were good at? You know what? I can't sing where the damn, and I love music. I have Same. all kinds. Of, <laughs> I have all kinds of music, uh, different, different, uh, different albums, different, uh, uh, different types. But uh, my wife says the only way I know what you're singing is by the words, because I can't tell the tune at all. <laughs> A lot of people have said the same answer. I'm the same way. I wish I could sing. Yeah, like I can stay on key, but like obviously oh, in the high even, notes, can't. I can't even do key. <laughs> <laughs> most memorable moments is being a politician uh being elected as speaker uh that was a real honor and being elected the first time in the uh in the writing but uh yeah final question so goals and hopes for 2021 both for you personally and for north bay 
Well, uh, making it through COVID uh, in one piece, and I'm hoping that everyone in North Bay is going to do well. And that's something that uh, I want to see us come out of stronger. As we talked about earlier, North Bay really has a lot to offer. And I think COVID can be used as a good thing to, uh, to, to let people realize that, you know what, North Bay is a great city, let's move there. And we're seeing a lot of that now coming from Toronto, coming from Ottawa to North Bay, as opposed to what was happening in the past where we were basically losing our people to uh, the big cities. They're starting to come back and uh, young people are coming back as well, which is important. So, uh, and, and that'll bring economic growth. It'll bring more prosperity. And I think that's a good thing for uh, North Bay. Anyways, that's all the time that we have. So Anthony, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, do you have any final words? Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, I, I look forward to hearing this. Uh, we had a good time this morning and uh, <laughs> I want everybody to stay safe Keep social distancing uh, as a practice and wear those masks. All right, that's a wrap on another edition of the Lakers Locker Room. I want to thank our guest, Mr. Anthony Roder, for joining us. You can catch the video of this interview on YouTube and listen to the full interview on all podcast streaming platforms. See you guys next week. <laughs>